Book eight, chapter three of Round the Block by John Bell Booten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Act second. The spectators had been told that there were imposing stage effects in the second and last act, and they were not disappointed. The entire front was filled with furniture, real mahogany and brocade, leaving barely room for human beings to walk about. The background was a perspective of pillars conveying the idea of unlimited saloons, all opening into each other. Three bohemian vases filled with natural flowers were placed on pedestals in places where they would be least in the way, if it were possible to make such a discrimination. But the great feature of the scene was a magnificent paper chandelier of nine candles which hung from the center of the framework and made every spectator, while he admired, tremble with fear that it would set the house on fire. At a small table in front, covered by a rich cloth, sat the heroine, dressed in a gorgeousness of apparel that mocked her misery. Beneath the gems that studded her bosom, there was supposed to be unappeasable wretchedness, and the white brow, covered with a spangled wreath, was presumed to ache with mental agony. She was pale and beautiful. Murmurs of applause ran round the apartment. By her side was the faithful Bidette, armed with a bottle of salts. She bent affectionately over her mistress and asked if she wanted anything. Nothing, my child, but death, was the thrilling reply. Bidette was taken somewhat aback. She made a respectful pause. Then she said, But, my dear, though you do not love Signor Rodocaso, in heaven's name stop, child. You are piercing my heart with a hot iron. Name not love to me. Henceforth I erase it from the tablets of my brain. Now go on. With tranquil despair. I was about to say, dear mistress, please, that Signor Rodocaso has a splendid townhouse and a beautiful country seat, they say, and thousands of acres of land, which will all be yours. The eloquent grief of her mistress' face checked the maid. Bidette, she said, I shall want but a small portion of all his lands. What do you mean, dear mistress? asked the frightened maid only enough for a grave, was the harrowing reply. This dreary dialogue was here interrupted by the appearance of the father in tights, knee-buckles, velvet coat, ruffles, a powdered wig, and a general air of having been got up for a great occasion. He carefully picked his way through the furniture to his daughter, and kissed her on the forehead. Are you happy, my dear daughter? he asked happy oh yes father i am so happy see how i smile so saying she made a feeble attempt to smile which was a most artistic failure and brought out another tribute of applause the father not detecting the sad irony of the smile replied it is indeed fortunate that you are enabled not only to achieve your own happiness by this marriage but also to redeem what is dearer to me than all else in this world, my mercantile credit. But here they come. 
Here they come was the cue which was to bring in Signor Rodicaso and party. But the Signor was momentarily delayed by the giving way of two buttons in his doublet. When he had repaired damages with pins as well as he could, he emerged into view, accompanied by a notary and a pair of friendly witnesses. The Signor this time proved to be the author of the play who had kindly consented at five minutes' notice to take the part in which the hapless Chickson had broken down. Stealing behind in the shadow of the others was distinctly seen, by all except the people on the stage, the burly form of Uncle Bignolio. To satisfy the conventional idea of dramatic concealment, his left leg was plunged in obscurity behind the scenes, while the rest of his figure stood out in bold relief. He was observed by those who watched him narrowly to send a pleasant wink and nod to Bidette, who responded with a scarcely perceptible pout. On the entrance of Signor Rodicaso and friends, Fidelia rose, turned toward them, and made a profound curtsy, as if to signify her abject submission. Signor Rodicaso bowed with equal profundity, and straightway proceeded to make a speech to the lady, in which he spoke of the wild idolatry that he had long felt for her, and alluded most despairingly to his own merits. If the Signor's statements could be relied on, he was totally unworthy of an alliance with the beautiful Fidelia in fact was a dog who would be proud only but to bask in the sunshine of her smile this singular address extending over one length or forty-five lines excited little less astonishment on the stage than in the audience for it was not set down in the acting copy but had been improvised by the author to better the part of the signor which, as originally written, was destitute of long and effective orations. Fidelia smiled and could only reply to this unpremeditated effusion by several modest inclinations of the head. The other actors and actress turned aside to conceal their grins. Uncle Bignolio alone fulfilled the requirements of his part by casting Mephistophelian leers at the signor and now and then stealthily shaking his fists at him. The father, not being apt at off-hand oratory, did not attempt any response to this speech, but merely bowed to express his perfect agreement in everything that had been said, and waved his hand toward a table in the rear of the stage as if to say, Let us proceed to business. The notary, taking the hint, seated himself at the table, opened his black bag, drew forth a document from it, and spread it out. Then he dipped a pen into an inkstand and said, We now await the signing of the contract of marriage between Signor Alessandro Arturo Rodicaso, gentleman, and Signorina Giulia Innocenza Fidelia Corpetto, only daughter of Signor Francesco Corpetto, merchant. In the absence of any definite information on the Venetian formula adopted in such cases, the author had selected this style of announcement as being sufficiently stiff and imposing. 
Signor Rodicaso sprang forward with joyful alacrity to sign the contract, dashing off his name in two strokes, as is the invariable custom on the stage. The climax of the drama had now arrived, and everybody stood aside for the wretched Fidelia. Mrs. Slapman proved equal to the great occasion. Directing one look to heaven, as if for strength, and pressing a hand over the jeweled bodice which covered her bursting heart, she walked with firm steps toward the fatal table. Never in her life had she been more grandly simple. It was sublime. As Fidelia came up to the little table, she faltered and leaned upon it to support herself, then with a nervous motion grasped the pen. Several times she dipped the pen in the empty inkstand, and each time her face assumed a look of more settled anguish. Then, bracing all her nerves for the decisive act of woman's life, she put down the pen boldly on the paper, and made one upstroke. Before she could make the other downstroke, which was necessary to complete her signature, a wild figure with hair disheveled and other evidences of hasty purpose burst upon the stage. Fidelia paused. All stood back, and gentlemen who had swords laid hands on them. Who is this? asked the father with mercantile calmness. Who dares thus break in upon my happiness? inquired Signor Rodicaso. Know you not, young man? that you are committing a breach of the peace, remarked the notary, regarding the intrusion with the eye of a lawyer. The wild figure answered them all at once, I am Alberto, and I come to rend this impious contract, thus, 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 snatching the parchment from the table, tearing it to pieces, and trampling on it. Fidelia, astonished at the turn events were taking, leaned back in her chair and looked on silently. Her time for fainting had not yet come. "'Draw and defend yourself, caitiff!' exclaimed Signor Rodicaso, brandishing his sword. "'Anywhere but in the presence of a lady,' was the sarcastic reply. "'Besides, I have claims on you, which perhaps may teach you to respect me.' "'Claims? Thou liest! What claims?' These, hast seen them before? Ha-ha! shouted Alberto, shaking a bundle of papers in the face of his rival. Allow me to examine them, if you please, asked Signor Rodicaso with forced calmness. No, you don't, was the response, but I'll tell you what they are. They are judgments to the extent of one hundred and seventy thousand florins. Dost hear? one hundred and seventy thousand florins against you which i have bought for less than quarter price from jenkerini brothers number one twenty four rialto with them i offset the sum which this unhappy but excellent merchant pointing to the father owes you here sir now you are released from yon monster's clutches Hans' package of judgments to the father, who, overpowered by the scene, takes and holds them in dumb amazement. An expression of silent joy begins to steal over the face of Fidelia. 
but her time for fainting had not yet come boy said signor rodicaso with a composure that was perfectly wonderful there is another hand than thine in all this work thou art but the poor tool and i despise thee here is the hand exclaimed the uncle bignolio drawing out his leg from its seclusion and bringing his whole body into full view dost know it he held up his right hand to carry out the idea of the author it is the hand of bignolio the usurer said signor rodicaso despondingly seeing now that the game was clearly against him bignolio the usurer exclaimed the father still wrapped in amazement bignolio the usurer murmured fidelia whose woman's wit divined the mystery of his appearance but her time to faint had not yet come bignolio the usurer cried the notary witnesses and bidette in chorus yes returned that gentleman bignolio the usurer who now is proud to claim the dearer title of own uncle to his nephew alberto that nephew he this day receives into his partnership and proclaims his only heir come to my arms adopted son alberto flew to his uncle and was silently embraced even at this moment sacred to the interchange of the noblest affections several persons in the audience distinctly saw the uncle's left eye wink over alberto's shoulder to bidette who responded to the unwelcome familiarity this time with an indignant frown the nephew gently uncoiled his uncle and addressed himself to the father respected sir i have long loved your daughter and am not totally unprepared to believe that she may in some slight measure reciprocate my affections i humbly solicit her hand in marriage the father with the characteristic decision of an old man of business had already made up his mind alberto the young partner and heir of the rich usurer of venice would be a more manageable son-in-law than the middle-aged though wealthy rodicaso the father said words to this effect in an aside and then replied aloud her hand is yours and may your union be crowned with felicity come children and receive a parent's blessing my bitter curse be on you all boy we shall meet again shouted rodicaso striding off the stage and followed by the notary for his pay and by the laughter and scorn of the rest of the company fidelia's little cup of earthly happiness was now full her time for fainting had arrived at last everybody moved to clear a space for her she rose and walked with an unfaltering step toward alberto there was no overdone rapture in her gait no exaggerated ecstasy in her face as a practised critic remarked her calmness was the truest expression of her agony of joy alberto advanced half-way with a lover's ardor and extended his arms then was her time to faint and she fainted with a slight scream sinking gently upon a faithful breast 
The father raised his hands above the couple and blessed them in the correct way, never seen off the stage. Uncle Bignolio wiped his eyes and murmured, Dear boy, how much he looks like his father now, a remark somewhat out of place, considering that Alberto's back was turned to the uncle. Bidette hovered near the happy group and danced for joy. It was a touching tableau, and the spectators applauded it in a way that tickled the heart of the author, who was watching the effect through an eye-hole of the left wing. End of Book 8 Chapter 3